Well, we are still in this series that we've been talking about for several weeks since the beginning of the year called Mosaic. And if you're new or newer, I just want to catch you up and get us all back on the same page. We're talking about this idea of Mosaic. How can we be a part of something bigger than ourselves? As we think about this year, as we think about our life, as we think about why God has put us here on this earth, to think about, God, how do you want me to be part of something bigger than just what's all around me, what I see in front of me all the time? And so as we've been talking about this invitation that Jesus gives to all of us, he says, come, be a part of something. He invites us into a journey. He invites us into a reality that is bigger than who we are, and it gives our life meaning and purpose, and it gives our life beauty. What is that meaning, and what is that purpose? We've been looking at a key scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which says that we are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. We individually, but we together as a church, like a mosaic, we are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus. He's recreated us. Why? Because he has planned for us to do some good things long ago, and he wants us to do those things. So how do we discover those good things? And so as we've been talking about this series, we stepped back and said, there's this kingdom mosaic that God has for us, this, this picture of the kingdom of God that is bigger than any one individual, it's bigger than any one church, it's bigger than our city and our world, it spans the time of history. As a matter of fact, it's God's purpose and plan throughout all of history. It's a plan to bring redemption and restoration to the world, to bring hope, to bring healing, to bring freedom to bring love, and he's saying, I want you to be a part of this kingdom mosaic, and when you are a part of this, you're gonna find your purpose and your meaning and your life in that. We talked about the church. What is the role of the church? That we are to create glimpses of this kingdom reality in this world. That the way that we function together, the way that we live together, the way that we grow as a body, the way that we interact with one another, people begin to see glimpses of the kingdom of heaven in the way that it could be. Now the church is not perfect, it's far from it. We have our faults and our difficulties. We have our challenges. But boy, when we get those glimpses, it's powerful. I believe there's a glimpse today when we go have that church picnic and we're out there and people see, here's this community of different people coming from different places, gathering together, meeting one another, hanging out together, playing together, enjoying one another. It's a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. And every time we see life change within individuals or we worship together, There's glimpses of the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom mosaic that's all around us. And then last week I talked about serving. Remember the serving towel over our arms? How'd you guys do with that this past week? I got to about Sunday night and I had to be reminded by my wife about my message in the morning. (laughs) I think she waited till Monday morning actually. (laughs) Serving, it's not always easy, is it? We have to learn and grow. How do we serve one another? And how do we put others first? Because that is the first calling. Because we've been talking about how do we place our tile? How do we place our tile, our piece of this kingdom mosaic? How do we get it onto that mosaic? We talked about it's serving. It's the general call, the call that comes to all of us is serving. And when we serve, it's the glue that sticks us to the other pieces. And it's when we serve others that we become a part of their story, right? We become of that story. Now, when you came in today, you were given a tile. Now, granted, the picture on the computer screen when we ordered these looked like they were going to be a little bit bigger, okay? (laughs) But we wouldn't want to weigh you down with a lot of, you know, take-home pieces. So you got these little ones. I've been holding up a little bit bigger one, but the point is all the same, right? When you see this picture here of a mosaic, this is a mosaic floor. 
And you think in terms of, okay, what does one little piece make a difference? Or how does this one piece fit? And there's a master artist, a master designer here, somebody who's doing this project that knows and places each tile very lovingly and very intentionally. And as you look at your tile, you might go, where does my tile fit? In the picture of God's kingdom mosaic, where does it fit? And and this week and next, as we wrap this series up, I want to get very specific. Where do you fit? How do you fit in? What does God want you to do? How are you created to serve? And each tile is very unique. When we think about the kingdom mosaic, different colors, different shapes, different sizes, different purposes, different placement, as unique as there are individuals. So what is that uniqueness? I want us to look at, just kind of to frame this in here, Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. Let's look at Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. Picture this in mosaic kind of imagery as well. Paul, who's writing to the church, he's writing to a church in Rome, and he's telling the people in the church this very thing. He says, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. If you've been around the church for a while, you know this imagery that Paul uses of the body. But don't let that get old on you because it's powerful. And if you're hearing this for the first time, it's powerful that each place has a specific function, has a specific role, a specific specific purpose. And as it says in there, they all belong to each other. Each piece, one belongs to the other. It's this mosaic, an image of this masterpiece that God has created. As we look at that last line there, God has given each of us different gifts for doing certain things well. Who's each of us? It's you. It's me. God has given you a certain gift, a different gift to do something well. What is that gift? How do you place it? Where do you put that? I've had some conversations in this past week and in in the previous couple of weeks with, with some of you here in the church and people in different stages of life continuing to ask this question, God, where would you have me? I feel like, I feel like I've been successful in business, I've been successful in my life and in my career and the things that I'm doing, but I'm really searching for what God has for me. I know there's more out there for me. And as I've reflected on that, I think that we ask that question probably on average, we come to a point like that in our lives, sometimes every five to 10 years. Would you guys agree with that? I mean, I remember thinking in, in college, right, going into college, in, in that short period of time, man, it was like identity crisis, trying to figure out what God would have me do with my life. And so I remember applying to colleges, and, and I remember getting accepted into two of the colleges. One was in a journalism program, and the other was in engineering, <laughs> okay? Really diverse. And I ended up going to, to university um, with the engineering program, but quickly after that, switched out of that into biology, Wanted to become a doctor instead of an engineer in pre-med curriculum. And then changed from that into political science and into pre-law. And actually graduated with that. And that's obviously why I'm a pastor today. So <laughs> I'm confused. But, you know, I remember thinking at the end or every time I made that switch, thinking like, I figured it out now. I finally know who I am or what God has for me. And then you hit that moment where it's like, wait, I'm not sure. And then even as I began and, and prepared for ministry and became a pastor, it was like, okay, now I'm a pastor. Where God, where do you want me to serve? How do you want me to, to, to go about my life? And, and I started off as a youth pastor. And remember feeling like this is what I was made for. This is, this is, I'm in the right place. I'm in the right spot. But then after about a decade of that, it began to feel like I think God is pulling me in a different direction, in a new direction. 
and I became a church planter and began to think about beginning something new, a church for people who don't like church, and, and we started something new in the Southeast Valley here in Santan, in Santan Valley and did that for about 10 years. And during that time, I thought, this is what I was, was made to do. But then that time comes again, you start asking those questions or you get those feelings like, God, what else? What's next? Is there something more? Am I in the right place? And, and that led me here, feeling like this is where I need to be. This is what God has prepared and called me to do. But I find not only me in ministry, but that you in your life find those moments in time where maybe it's not a changing a, a career path completely, but you begin to evaluate through different decades of your life especially Different values, different priorities. I remember the 20s especially being a time where coming out of college. Well, let's go even before, during college, when you think about this tile that you have, and, uh, and you think about this being you, you look at that tile, and maybe in your 20s or, you know, in your college or sometime early in that time, you're going, my tile, I'm going to change the world with this tile, right? I'm going to change the world, man. I want to make a difference in this world. Or with this tile, I'm going to make a lot of money. I want a good career, I'm going to make a lot of money. But you think about what's possible with this tile, and you think everything is possible. And then it seems to be in the 20s, though, it's about establishing yourself. And it seems to be very focused in on this tile. And, and even for me, like whether it's professionally or whatever, you like want to prove yourself, that you have value, that you have worth, that, that you can really contribute in a way. And then that seems like in another decade later, maybe in the 30s, it becomes about being a part of an organization, or maybe in your company or where you're at, you want to, your department, you want to grow that. You want to show, I can build something. I can make something happen. But then as you continue to do that, you start realizing, like, why am I I'm doing all these things for a boss or for a company? And, and you start questioning, what is this all for? What's the purpose behind this? And, and we look, God, what might I be doing with my life? And, and where can I leverage that? And throughout life, I just feel like we come to these points time and again of going, God, where do you want us? Where do you want me? Where is the best place for me? And so I want to talk today about finding your sweet spot. Where is your sweet spot? And that sweet spot sometimes changes throughout your life, but where right now is your sweet spot? When I was in, um, when I was in junior high, I was introduced to ten tennis. Any of, any of you guys play tennis anywhere? Some tennis? Or <laughs> pretend to play, right? You've gotten out there? Well, I'm old enough that when I started playing tennis, we had wooden rackets, Okay, that just feel, I feel really old when I say that. I played with wooden, wooden tennis rackets, but they were cool. They were, they were the Chris Everett, you know, remember Chris Everett, right? And then Jimmy Connors tennis rackets, you know, on the handle. And we'd get out there in the park, you know, with my friends and, and we'd hit and, and we had this, this, this kind of heavy wooden tennis racket, thick frame, you know what I'm talking about, and, and a small head on that tennis racket. So to hit the ball well, it was, it was not that easy, right? You had to have pretty good, pretty good aim. But then I remember as I got, um, as I got into high school, I, uh, I, I decided to try out for the tennis team. And then the, the equipment began to change. I think the first was aluminum rackets and whatnot. And, and even this one right now is probably like 15, 20 years old. But you can see a, this is very different than a typical wooden tennis racket that you had back in the day. And one thing you notice, they always talked about these oversized heads. Because you figure the bigger the racket, the easier it is to hit the ball. I always wonder why they don't make them like this big, right? Then you just, could you imagine playing at the net? You just, like, I mean, at some point, there's probably got to be a limit on that. But, well, you know, when you're playing and when you're hitting, there's something when you, like, hit that one spot. You know what that's called? The sweet spot, right? I think you, you, sometimes you can get that in baseball, too. When you hit that bat and that ball, you just connect in a good way. Or I'm sure in golf, right, you hit that sweet spot. You just hit it just right. In tennis, you hit that sweet spot. There's this thud. There's power. There's control. 
And it just makes it more fun. And you go, wow, you know, I just feel good about that, that hit. And what is that sweet spot? Where is that sweet spot? That's what I want to talk about today. But we are like this tennis racket. I even have another racket in here. And you go, you know, these both have the same function, but they're different, right? They're close, but they're different size, different shape, different materials, different colors. Unique like us, unique like tiles made in different ways. But when I look at this racket and you think, okay, this is a tennis racket, but we could use this thing for some other things, couldn't we? Give me, let's do a little, little interaction here. What else could we use a tennis racket for? Throw some things out here at me. Orange is off the tree. What kind of a strainer for something? What's that? Bats? Just, oh, bats, like getting bats out of the air. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I can see that. I can see that. You could use, maybe use it as a hammer, you know, if, uh, yeah, anyone's misbehaving. Right now, there's different things you can use. Um, but it's kind of silly because you go, there's a purpose for this. And there's the place where it's best utilized. And when it's being best utilized, which is playing tennis, and when it really does what it's supposed to do and you find that sweet spot, that's where its best purpose is. And what we want to talk about today is how do we find our sweet spot? How do you find that place that God is, wants to use you in that kingdom mosaic that he's doing all around us to say, this is why I created you. Now go and be about that. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into God's word. And I want to look at five key areas that help us determine this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for time to reflect on who we are. And this morning, we just want to look at our spirit, our soul, our life, and we lay it before you, God. Help us understand who you've created us to be and how you want to use us. In Jesus' name, amen. I encourage you to take some notes this morning because I want you to reflect on these things um, after, after we leave here. And this is some great time and opportunity for you to discuss some of these things. So I'll have just a real rough um, points up there, but you're going to want to kind of jot down some of the other, the other things. So we're going to look at your shape. Now, Rick Warren, pastor in uh, California, has, has developed this idea of helping us understand our shape. And I want to share some of these pieces with you because your shape, like a tennis racket, determines where God wants to use you and how best to use you. So we're going to look at these five points, each beginning with one letter of the word Shape, And so the first part of our shape is our spiritual gifts, our spiritual gifts. Now, before you check out, because the first, oh, spiritual gifts, what is a spiritual gift? We're not going to linger on this point very long, although it is important. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 and 11. Now, there's stuff in between these verses yet, but I'm going to grab the beginning of the, the paragraph and the end. And this is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 and 11. A spiritual gift is given to each of us. To who? To whom? <laughs> to each of us, right? So we can help each other. Some other translations say as a way of building up the church. Why is the spiritual gift given to each person? To build up the church, to build up the body, to help one another. And then he begins to list some of the spiritual gifts, and he talks about, you know, if you've been given the ability to have a word of wisdom to speak that, if you have discernment, if you have leadership, and he talks about different gifts that are given. He's saying, use those, invest those in the body. And then it ends with this verse here. It is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? First of all, let me ask you, do you know that you have 
a spiritual gift. If God has, God's spirit is in you, he's given you a gift. And I think we walk around, so many of us, we don't know that God has gifted us, that God has called us, that he wants to use you for a purpose. So if nothing else, we need to understand with this first part, spiritual gifts, that this is about who This is about you. It's about understanding that that God has a place and a plan and a purpose for you and that he is the one that distributes it. And he he understands that not one person can have all the gifts because he understands it's not about one person. It's about a body coming together, a mosaic being formed. And so he's going to distribute all the different gifts. He's going to say, I'm going to put the right gifts together with the people all around to accomplish what I need. And when I think about this church, when I think about this as your pastor, this is awesome. Because it's a way of going, God, for whatever you have called McDowell Mountain Community Church to accomplish and to do in this community, within this building, with children, with youth, and around the world, you have given us all the gifts we need. Everything that we need to do what you've called us to is right here. The question is, is it being engaged? Is it being used? And if you want to find that sweet spot, if you want to find that place where God has placed you, we need to understand there are some spiritual gifts that God has given you. And a spiritual gift is one of those things where the the fruit, the evidence far outweighs the input. Sometimes you think it's not about somebody's even natural abilities, but they just seem to have a way if they have the gift of hospitality. It's maybe not even just that they can decorate and make the nicest crafts and gifts and to have the home just Martha Stewart perfect. Somebody might be able to do that, and you might not even feel welcome there, right? That's not the gift of hospitality. The gift of hospitality is maybe somebody who could do that, but maybe not. But it's somebody who, when you're in their presence, you just feel welcome. You feel accepted. You feel warmth, and you realize God's doing something here. There's a gift in that person that God has given. And so there's all kinds of different gifts. And the idea that I just want you to know is God has placed you here, has given you something very specific. Now, in the past, churches have spent a lot of time helping people understand their spiritual gifts, and I think that's a good thing, but I think it had the wrong emphasis. I think the way that you learn your spiritual gifts is by trial and error. It's by starting. It's by doing. It's by serving. It's by trying this thing and trying that thing and serving here and serving there, and you know how you begin to know that you're in your spiritual gift? Other people begin to ask you to be involved in a certain way because they see that in you. Or you feel it in you as you're serving that I'm in the right place. God is using me in some powerful way. And so the way you're going to discover that is by doing, not by sitting and taking some kind of, you know, test online to discover what your gifts are. It's going to be done by by doing and by what you feel when you're doing that. So it's so great. And I want you to know God has given you something to contribute. And it's spiritual. It's supernatural. And he sees our body and he's weaving us together to say, when we all contribute and do those things, what is possible is amazing to think about. So first, spiritual gifts. It's the who. It's you and me. It's us together as a body uh, utilizing what God has given us, a special ability, a special need. So let's look at H, heart. Heart. When you think about what your shape is and, and how God made you and what he wants you to do, look at your heart. And what is heart? Heart is this, it's your passion is another word for that. What are you passionate about? What, what brings enthusiasm to you? And have you ever noticed that your passions are sometimes very different than other people's passions? And sometimes you can't understand, why is somebody else not as passionate about Africa or about orphans or about sex trafficking or about children or about whatever? You go, why aren't other people feeling that passion? This is an indication of the heart and the passion that God has put in you, that it's unique to you that God has given you a burden. Another way to ask that question is, what fires you up? 
What gets you hot under the collar? (laughs) You might not think that that's really an indicator, but what you realize, again, is sometimes you get fired up over something that somebody else doesn't even really seem to move them, right? You're the one that when you see those, you know, ASPCA or whatever those, you know, those sad puppy commercials on, on TV, you're the one that actually starts bawling and you're sending money. And you're going, why is this person next to me like, how can they change the channel or sponsoring a child or, or save the whales or whatever it is? But there are certain passions that maybe you have, and the reason you're having that response is because maybe you're supposed to do something about that around you, and God has placed you in a way for that purpose. A couple other ways to ask that question. What makes you weep? What makes you angry? You kind of go, wow, that's kind of weird to find my place where God wants me. What makes me angry? You know, but what makes me weep? Again, it gets, what tugs at your heartstrings? Where do you get that lump in your throat? What puts that, that feeling in the pit of your stomach that something isn't right here? The time when you say, you know what? Someone ought to do something about that. That's a good indicator of where your heart and your passion is. It's one of the favorite things that we love to do in ministry when somebody comes to me, you know, somebody ought to do something about that. Absolutely. When are you starting? (laughs) Don't make your passion my passion. (laughs) Sometimes they align and sometimes it's something big, but but let's look at it because God's put something there for you and we can't force our heart and passion on others. We need to be champions for it, but it's an indicator of what God is calling us to do. And so what are some things that move you deeply? In in one of our classes on on our next steps, we're looking at a book that they're going to be starting soon called Holy Discontent. And it's a phrase that a pastor, Bill Hybels, wrote a book on talking about where's this thing that you just almost have this holy, righteous anger. You're just discontent about, and it burns in you. You want to do something. It fuels this passion. And the thing is, your spiritual gifts and this heart passion, typically, in God's design, I would say they don't compete. They are in synergy with each other. They are in sync with each other. And so they begin to direct you to where you might want to go and, and what you might want to do. There's a, a friend of mine, he actually started the church with me, and uh, he, was a, he was our worship leader for a lot, a lot of years. His name was Chris Gwaltney, the church that I started a few years ago. And, but something began to shift in him. We talked about these changing kind of shifts. He's a great worship leader, great at what he did, but uh, he also really loved video games, okay? Really loved video games. And, and if you love video games, you get it. If you don't love video games, you don't get it. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like spending hours and hours playing, and, and, and there's all kinds of online communities and all these things. But then something began to happen, and, and that passion wasn't just about, I enjoy playing video games and I'm good at it. He realized there's an entire network of people, community of people, a whole generation and generations of people that are streaming, that are online, that are out there, that are far from God. And he began to look at how these two pieces can come together. And while this wouldn't be my place, this isn't the way that I would have effectiveness, it's what stirred within him. And he actually went on staff with an organization called Game Church based out of California. And they go to all these Comic-Con conventions and tech conventions and video game conventions, and they tell people, Jesus loves you. And they hand out Bibles, and they are just there for conversation. And they're reaching out to that world because of a burden and a passion to reach people. And God brought those things together in a very unique way. And I know for me, when I think about my passion, I think about what God has stirred in me, It grows through some of the things that I'm feeling. And what makes me really angry is really bad churches. (laughs) 
people coming from churches that have had a really bad experience in their church or aren't getting the truth, there, aren't, there isn't life change happening, or they're being turned away, or they're being judged in a way that's sending them, 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 them running. Versus a church that expresses grace, a church that grows people, that inspires them to a new level, that is making a difference. And so that passion fueled me first to start a church and fueled me to come here to believe this is the kind of place and knowing this is the kind of place we can have that impact. And that heart is so important for you to understand what is your heart, what moves you deeply, what stirs in you. Because with this, you don't need to be motivated to do it. When that's happening in you, you don't need to be motivated because it's already in you. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean you're not going to have challenges, but it's the, the heart and the passion that moves you. All right, let's move to A. You have your spiritual, your spiritual gifts. You've got your heart. A is your abilities, your abilities. Now we're talking about what, the what. What do you do? These abilities. Now, simple question, what are you good at? Now, some of you might be so you know, humble and modest, like, oh, I'm not good at anything. No, you're good at something. As a matter of fact, you're probably good at a lot of things. Now, are you as good as maybe somebody else? You'll always find somebody who's better than you at something. You'll always find somebody who's worse. It's not about a comparison thing. What are you good at? Your abilities. God has given you certain skills and abilities. They begin oftentimes very natural. You have an inclination for something, a bent towards something, and then throughout life, we begin to develop that. For example, you may have a, a musical inclination as a child, and you pick up instruments and music quickly. Or, and, and so you develop that skill, you hone that in, and pretty soon you're, you're here in a band, you're playing, you're leading worship, because you're using that ability, that skill that is unique, that, that you have that maybe someone else doesn't, and, and God's saying, this is why I have given you that ability. Now, if you can't carry a tune if it had a handle, all right, don't try out for the worship team, right? You will not be helping the entire church. You will not be building up the body. When you're sitting here, belt it out. That's why we have the music loud, right? <laughs> so you can have confidence to just sing because it's about your heart, not only about what comes out of your, your, your vocal, past your vocal cords, but God has given you some of these abilities. And one thing that has amazed me as I've been a part of this church for this year, this past year now, is the ability and skills that are sitting right here, you, in these, in these seats, all around us. And, and, and oftentimes, it's the kinds of things that you also do in your everyday life, in your vocations, and you've come to places where those things align, and that's a beautiful thing. But for others, those are the abilities and gifts come alongside. They're maybe not even what you do professionally and vocationally. I mean, there's people here that have such an eye for design and for art and photography and, and media and crafting things. That's a wonderful thing to see. There's people who love numbers and can, who can dig down into those things. I think about Russ Scholl, our treasurer, who just does that so effortlessly here. And he does that in his day job, but he lends those skills and those abilities here to the church to bless us with great financial leadership and stewardship. I think about Drake Drake, I don't know if you guys know Drake, but he's uh, one of our students and has been starting to learn about how to do the lighting in, in here and, and adapting these things. And just a few weeks ago when we were at Christmas at the Fountain, he decided to take on the whole production part of the lighting. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure out what we need and he made a list of here's all the lights that we need to order and need to rent. He began to figure out how to get them there, to assemble them. And then he began to create all the different scenes, program everything in and has a heart and a passion to do that, but also the ability that he's learning to leverage that, to do that in a powerful and an amazing way. How cool is that? 
We got people with computer skills and carpentry and building skills. I'm telling you, the building committee, I just sit back here and sometimes go, wow, just run with it, guys. Like, I don't run anything past me. I don't want to screw it up. You guys are way too good at what you do. The way that you guys are managing these, uh, you know, the contractors and subcontractors and architects and timelines, and are we doing this and are we missing that? And, and I just go, thank you, Lord. I'm going to let me get back to what I do. And, uh, and, and I know we're in great hands. It's because people using their abilities and leveraging that for the kingdom, on and on. Some of you are just really good, you know, at what? At making money. Some of you are really good at making money. That's why you live in this area. A lot of you. That's a gift. Scripture talks about God has gifted you some to have that sense of business, and you just have that touch where you do something and it grows and it, and, and it moves forward. Well, what do you do with that? God says, leverage it for the kingdom. Use your influence in your workplace where you are and and let people understand and see your faith, the way you treat your employees and the way you do those things. Leverage it for good in the kingdom, in the community. Give back to the church. Give back to the community and to say, God, this is just a gift that I have. And you use that so many different ways. You can see it's all over the place, from music to money to kids and business, on and on. God has given you some abilities. He's asking you to leverage them. And here's the great thing. When you're good at it, you enjoy it. And when you're passionate about it, that's great. And when it's a spiritual gift and God says, he multiplies what you're doing, you're coming closer to that sweet spot. For me, I've always been good at talking. (laughs) Mom could never shut me up. And now I get to just talk endlessly on a Sunday morning. You see, you just kind of, God has a sense of humor in that way. Personality, that's P, S H A P, personality. This is sort of that unique flavor of how you go about doing the things that you're doing. Right? I, all I have to do is look at my four daughters, right? All born within about five and a half years. Is that right? Yeah, that's crazy. doesn't even make sense when I say it. I don't even know it's possible. Somehow it's possible. And, and yet, so they're all, they're all girls, all like stair-step, and yet each one so different in their personalities. And it's fun to talk about. And obviously, if you, as kids, you know that you see that. It's not unique to us. And you sometimes go, God, there's something that he's put in us. It's just a different way of going about it. We could have the same, you know, spiritual gifts. We could have the same even heart and passion and even abilities. But when you add personality in, it changes the way we do something, right? You've seen bosses that you've had at, at work or, or people that are CEOs in your company When one CEO changes to another, they may be a very different personality, and they'll run the company in a very different way, and yet they're still going to run the company. They can still grow the company, but it's different because of their personality, of what God has put in them, the way they're wired. And so it's the way in which we approach people and the world around us. Now, there's great things that can help us understand who we are better, great inventories and assessments. I don't know if you guys have ever done anything like the, you know, the Myers-Briggs uh, assessment that talks about you know, introverted and extroverted and talks about just the different ways that we engage the world around us and several other markers. There's disc profiles. Uh, a lot of you probably through work have done some of these things. Strengths Finder. Again, we have a class that we're working through that right now, looking at Strengths Finder and Holy Discontent and trying to understand How has God made us unique? And as we talk about our staff, we did some training this past week again, looking at different ways that God uses and needs everyone across the spectrum to make it work and to make your teams and to make the church work. And so you see it all around us. And, and, you know, we just need you to be you. Have you ever tried to not be you? It's very hard and it's very uncomfortable and it's very ineffective. Be you. You know, we need some very serious people. 
And we need some funny people to help us deal with the serious people. And we need serious people to help us deal with the the funny people that don't ever seem to get focused, right? Or there's some that are so detail-oriented and say, just give me, oh, man, who let this little, you know, sees the little speck on the ground versus seeing the future 20 years out. We need both, and we need everything in between. We need people who can just kind of go with the flow that remind us to take it easy and to live in the moment. We know we need those that are structured and that are moving forward and that like kind of chaos, right? We need those that are cautious, and we need those that are reckless. It's what keeps us moving and what keeps us grounded. Everything in between those personalities are so important, and they are part of the shape of who God made you to be. Just be you. E, your experience. Again, this is so unique to you. Nobody has lived your life. And experience often speaks into where we leverage our gifts, where that we use this passion and this and and all the things that God has shaped us for. So think about your life. And as you think about your life, and right now, you know, maybe in a broad strokes, but go home and think about this. What are the defining moments, the defining milestones, the defining memories, those things where you just know those were turning points in your life, shaping points in your life? The reality is many of those are probably difficult things, painful experiences, things that you've gone through. Not always, and many times we've got great memories too that that moved us forward and we learned from those things, but God uses everything, the great experiences and the painful experiences to remind us that he's shaping us, that he's growing us. And it's often those very experiences that are gonna be the very thing that link you to someone else's story, right? It's how we find common ground. When we talk about, you know what? I once dealt with that too. I once went through a really dark time. Here's how I came through that. Yeah, my loved one died from cancer too, and this is how we dealt with it. I went through divorce. I know what that's like. Here's how it happens. I had a kid that was wayward and, and really struggled, and, and uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about that. It creates that bond. It creates that connection, and oftentimes, it's what God uses so that you can be the very person that then goes back into those very experiences for others and helps them navigate those same, those same things. So God uses everything. No pain is wasted. No experience is wasted. God uses all these things. And in the mix of all these things, he begins to create our shape. As different as rackets and way different than these things. But God begins to shape that for us. And he's saying, all right, this is who you are. I can't tell you all those things. You have to answer those questions. But I know that God is using all those pieces to say there's a specific place and a way that I want to use you. How are you shaped for God's masterpiece? But there's one more piece missing to be able to be part of the sweet spot. Because you can know all those things, and you can have this great shape, but in order to find your sweet spot, the sweet spot is at the intersection of your shape and opportunity. You like that? Opportunity, right? Doesn't do any good to go out there and play and swing your racket wildly and never hit a ball. I know my shape. I know who God's made me to be. I know my spiritual gifts, and I'm so passionate about this game. I love this game, and I'm all ready to go, and you never hit a ball, right? This is the opportunity. When it comes in contact with the opportunity, where is that need? And the needs are everywhere. They're globally. They're locally. They're right here in our church. They're right here in our community. They're right here in the schools. They're right in your workplace. They're in your own home. The opportunity is everywhere. And when the right opportunity and God has placed something in front of you that's coming your way, he wants you 
to hit your sweet spot, to do what he's called you to do. And he's the one that controls the racket, right? We are the racket in God's hands. And he's saying, just let me use you and make contact with that opportunity and watch what God can do. When you find that sweet spot, when you find that place that God wants to use you, when you find that place for your tile in the mosaic of God's kingdom, life takes on a different sense of meaning and purpose, joy. And you just need to know this morning, if you feel like God can't use me, I'm damaged goods, what do I have to offer? I don't have any skills. I failed at this or I failed at that. God uses all those things. Nothing is wasted in his economy. And and more than that, he says, actually, I have a very special place for you. I want to use you in my kingdom for something bigger than yourself. Would you make yourself available to that? And simple prayer that says, God, use me, all of me, take everything I have. I want to make it available for you to be about this kingdom and what you are doing in this world. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, as we close our time together and we reflect on what we've heard this morning, God, I'm just so encouraged as I look around this room and think about the impact and the power that is already being made, that will be made, when we really lean into those things that you've put in us. And we don't just swing wildly, but God, we hit our sweet spot. And we look for those opportunities. God, open our eyes this week to the opportunities around us. Help us experience what it feels like to be used by you. God, we thank you for all those that are leveraging their gifts and their talents here in the church and the community and their everyday lives.